ahead and make your way over to Mark 4 this morning. Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. Uh, and as you do so, let me tell you, the next six weeks are going to be a little different for us, not the way we usually do them. Because um, as a, a church, we are committed to uh, expository preaching, meaning that the overwhelming majority of our preaching is not on a topic, uh, but rather we take a passage of Scripture and we unpack it and we explain all the details, we explain what it means before applying it to our, our life. Uh, and, and yet, these, these next few weeks, we're going to be in the Scriptures for sure, but strictly speaking, these are not... Uh, expositional sermons, and, and I get that even today we'll be talking about expository preaching, and yet it's not an expository sermon. Oh, the irony, I get it. Um, that's, that's what it is. Uh, and so what we're beginning today is to look at our six core values as a church, uh, and then after that, <clears throat> we'll be back in the Gospel of Luke, and, and we'll pick up on that and just, just go forward to finish that up. So, um, and I'll be saying these every week, but our six core values are, are this. Uh, that we are dependent upon the ordinary means of grace, that we will live in covenant community, that, that we will participate in worship and Sabbath, that we are eagerly making disciples of Christ, that we are engaged in serving the community, and that we are active in church planting and mission sending. Uh, and foundational to all of these uh, is the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, which we believe, which we rest in, which is, is of course, foundational to all of those things. So, um, here's the thing about dealing with our, our core values right now. You ever, <clears throat> you ever made a New Year's resolution or a goal at the beginning of the year, uh, and you know how it's kind of fun in that moment when you commit, because you're like, these are the things I'm going to do, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet with the Lord and the Word every single morning. I'm going to get up at 5.30, I'm going to do that, I'm going to lose 20 pounds this year, and you have this list of all these things you're going to do, and it's going to be great. Um, that's what it was like thinking through core values before we actually started as a, as a church um, officially, right? Eight years ago as these were being put together. Uh, it, was, it was easy to say, this is who we're going to be and this is what we're going to do and it's going to be great and everything's going to work out wonderful. But it's a, a little different, isn't it, when you get to July with your goals, uh, your, your New Year's resolutions, whatever you want to call them, right? And, and you realize, oh, you know what? I've, I've only gotten up and met with the Lord like half the time and I'm probably like three to ten pounds heavier than I was in January 1st. Um, there's a little bit of feeling that as we dig into our core values here these, these eight years later. Uh, the realization that in some regards, you know, dreams are not reality, and, and some of them we've, we've lived out well, but other of them, you know, not in the way that we've hoped we could have. Now, and again, there are many areas of, of strength and to thank the Lord for, but there's also areas of, of weakness and, and even failure that we've got to just be own up to and be real, and, and, and that's a big reason for doing this, honestly, to... to improve, to, to grow, to, to, to put the train back on the tracks where, you know, areas where maybe we've fallen off the tracks. Uh, and, and so these weeks are going to be a bit of retrospect, a bit of recalibration, uh, and God willing and encouragement as we look to our core values, as we look to why we hold these and, and seek to, to live them out better. Uh, and so, like I said, there's not a central text today, but we are going to expound, rather, but uh, we are going to be in a various texts, and we're going to start with Mark 4, verses 26 through 29, and, and the reason is, if, if you're, you know, new here, you might not know this, you've been a while, around a while, you probably know this, it's, it's been like a theme verse for us since day one, uh, as just kind of understanding ministry, and uh, you, you see, Mark 4, in Mark 4, Jesus is, is speaking and he's telling this parable, he's telling this, this story about a, a farmer, uh, 
a farmer that has this odd way of farming, an odd way of cultivating his crops. And, and let's just read it. Here, here's what Jesus says, Mark 4, starting in verse 26. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade and then the ear and then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. The grass withers, the flower fades. <clears throat> Let's pray. Uh, mighty and gracious Heavenly Father, as we, as we look to where we are as a church and as we seek to recalibrate to better align with what we see as priorities in your word, would you please move us beyond just knowledge, just, just knowing in our heads what is good and right? Would you please teach us to trust you, to move us to action in areas where action is needed, but also move us to rest in areas where rest is needed? Holy Spirit, draw us near to you, to Jesus, to, to the Father. Draw us to each other and, and to your purposes, which are revealed in your holy word. Um, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So the man in that parable doesn't cause the grain to grow himself. There's nothing that he does that causes it to grow. He scatters seed and, and then he rests. He, he goes to sleep and it'd be easier for us to look at that and think, well, that's incredibly lazy. Why don't you do something? Yet, while he rests, God works in amazing ways. It is God that causes that little seed to sprout and to begin growing and um, the, the farmer doesn't know how, right, how it grows, but, but it grows until it is fruitful, until it is ready for the time of harvest. And it's only at that moment that the, the man involved, the man we're calling a farmer just because he plants here, right, <clears throat> it's only at that moment that he gets involved again to, to harvest. But what Jesus is, is teaching us here is that God will grow his church. <clears throat> God will grow his church. Now, there's all kinds of strategies in the world which you can use to gather a bunch of people together on a Sunday morning, but it is only God who will grow his church. And so what this tells us is that we don't need marketing strategies, strategies. we don't need program after program. We, we can be like the farmer, faithfully plant the seed of the gospel and rest until harvest. The, the parable is one place here where we see um, in God's word the first of our core values. We will be dependent upon the means of grace. And so what does that mean? <clears throat> well, simply put, it's, it's a theological term that describes something that Christians have, have noticed in, in the scriptures o over history, right? Kind of like the word trinity. Trinity is not a biblical word. It doesn't show up anywhere in the scriptures. And, and yet the concept that, uh, that God is, is one and yet he has three persons, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, is clearly seen in the scriptures. And so we have this term for it. We call it the Trinity, right? It explains something that is true in Scripture. And, and that's the way ordinary means of grace is. So let me explain ordinary means of grace. The term means uh, is an action, right? It's a, or a system by which a result is, is brought about, right? How does something happen? And see, just as God has designed that, that, as a, that a plant will grow by water and soil and sunlight... Uh, so God has ordained that the souls of men and women are redeemed, restored, and nourished through simple God-ordained means. L Ligon Duncan explains the ordinary means of grace as uh, the means to get us to God, to get us into fellowship with God, to get us a taste of the Lord, to get us the experience of God. Th these means are, are called ordinary 
Not because they are without power, as if they're weak somehow. Not because they they lack extraordinary results that come as a result, but because they are how God ordinarily transforms his people. These are the things that God graciously uses to draw us to himself and to make us more like Christ. Now, can God work outside of these ordinary means? Of course he can. He's God. As Ray Ortland, right, who's the father of Dane Ortland, I don't know if any of you read that book, Gentle and Lowly, recently, but his dad, uh, he says this, God does not limit himself to his wonderful means of grace, but if we are wondering where we can be sure to find the Lord, the answer is his standard means of grace made effective by his own living presence. See, you might, you might think of it this way. If you're out in the wilderness, right, before indoor plumbing and all that kind of thing, and you're wondering, right, where are we going to settle? Where are we going to go? Where are we going to find water that we need on a regular basis? It would be absolutely true uh, that, <clears throat> that you could step back and say, you know what, it, it rains places, so maybe we just wait and see where rain falls, which can occur anytime in any place. But, but you can be absolutely certain that water is going to be found in the river, That's why you build your home next to the river. That's why we build our lives around these means of grace. And so what specifically are the means of grace? You might be wondering at this point. See, uh, nearly 400 years ago, when our doctrinal statement, right, the Westminster Standards, uh, was was being written, and in question 88 of the Shorter Catechism, they said this. They said, uh, The outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption are his ordinances, especially the word sacraments, and prayer, all which are made effectual to the, uh, to the elect for salvation. So you hear that? Uh, the ministry of the word, prayer, and the sacraments. These are means by which God exposes our sin and shows us our need for Christ and throughout the days of our, our lives renews our faith. Which also means this, if if we wander away from the means of grace, if we wander away from these gifts of the Lord for us, uh, we are less likely to grow in our faith and to find rest in the grace of God to us. And you know that from experience, many of you do. See, the means of grace are, are freeing for us because no matter how long we have been walking with the Lord, uh, well, as, as R.C. Sproul puts it here, he says, in his grace and in his wisdom, God has provided ways by which we can regularly have our faith in his promises fortified. Prayer, the preaching of the word, and the sacraments. These are not elaborate or fancy methods of giving us what we need to confirm our trust in Christ. Uh, to an outside observer, they do not seem special at all. After all, they make use of rather common things, such as human speech, bread, wine, water, But by faith in the work of the Spirit, these common elements are used to do an uncommon work, the confirmation of our trust in Jesus and the strengthening of our wills to flee from sin and to rest in Christ alone. Okay, so what does that mean for us as a church, Um, as a particular body of believers in a particular place? You see, by making a a commitment to the ordinary means of grace, we're, we're saying that we are going to resist putting our hope in marketing strategies in trendy movements, in the exhausting hype of trying to create some massive events, theme days, entertaining bait and switches, you know, as, as means for, for evangelism and discipleship of God's people. And instead, we're going to distrust what the Lord has ordained for His people. And so we seek to be a church that <clears throat> is saturated in the Holy Scriptures, 
A church that is persistent in, in prayer and a church who regularly participates in the sacraments. And I, I hope you see that commitment in our, our liturgy week in and week out on the Lord's Day, right? As, the Lord's, as, as God's Word is woven throughout uh, our, our liturgy, as we pray at a, a variety of places within the service, as we gather around this, this room near the end of the service each week with a bread in our hand and cup in our hand week after week to partake in the Lord's Supper, I hope this is true in your life and in the life of your family over, you know, the rest of today and the other six days. And, and so this morning, I, I, I do want to touch a little bit on each one of these categories, uh, um, Scripture, prayer, and the sacraments. And we'll, we'll start with the, the Scriptures here, right? God's, God's Word is powerful for evangelism. As Romans ten seventeen tells us, right, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. That's what we see throughout the book of Acts, if you've read it or if you've been at the men's study going through it, right? They, they proclaim the gospel and people come to faith. There, there's no trickery going on. There's no manipulation going on. They proclaim the gospel and, and people come to faith. And, and through it, right, we're, we're, we just see God call sinners to believe in Christ and they do. Furthermore, when the apostle was encouraging young pastor named Timothy in evangelism and, and discipleship in 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17, Paul, this is what Paul tells him. He says, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And then that famous verse that you probably, most of you know, right? All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You, you, you get that. This, this, this book that we so often neglect in our, our lives is profitable for us in these, these four ways, specifically, right? It, it will teach you. God's Word teaches us how to live as God's children in God's world. This teaches us who God is, who, who we are, what, what we were to believe about God, about the Trinity, angels, demons, sin, salvation, sanctification, forgiveness. It teaches us about manhood and womanhood and marriage and singleness and love and anger and anxiety and hope and about God's sovereign work in the world. It teaches us all things that pertain to life and godliness. It also says here that the word serves as a reproof. It rebukes us when we are wrong in our thinking or wrong in our way of, of living out uh, right? our, our life. It, it brings about conviction in the heart of a believer. Uh, 2 Timothy also says the word is, is for our correction. You, you see, whereas reproof informs us of, of what we're doing sinfully, uh, correction shows us the right way to do something. Uh, reproof is, is like this. If you're teaching someone how to bake, Right? And if you've ever done this with kids, they always get that, you know, you need a cup of whatever, flour, and they have that huge heaping thing, and you're like, no, that's the wrong way to do it. Uh, right? That would, be, that would be rebuking. Correction is to take a knife, or sounds dangerous at this point, a butter knife, right? And show them, no, this is how you level it off. This is the right way to take that measurement. Uh, and, and so it comes alongside and shows the correct way to do it. The, the fourth thing 2 Timothy mentions is that the word trains us in righteousness. It, it serves to sanctify us, to actually you know, lead us to be more like Jesus Christ as we submit our lives more and more to his word. And of course, he says the end result is that we become complete, equipped for every good work. And, and because of all this, the next thing Paul says to Timothy, right, the, the very next section after this is, 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 is to Timothy, is this, Timothy, preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and, and teaching. 
This is why the, when the Shorter Catechism, question 88 asked, the one just before, the one we looked at earlier, uh, when it asks this, how is the word made effectual to salvation? It gives the answer, the Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching the words of the word, an effective means of convincing converting, sin, converting sinners and of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. And so, how are we doing as a church at this? I know some of you are new, you don't know our history. Uh, on September 15th, 2013, we, we gathered as a church for the very first time in Tim and Christine Durrett's living room. Um, and the first thing we, we did at that gathering, other than pray and, and eat some food, was to open our Bibles to the Gospel of, of John and to begin to read and to begin to study and to begin to learn and, and to come ready to be changed by God's Word. But we continued studying the book of John. I think it took us a couple of years, actually, if I remember right. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> Those groups later studied the, the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, uh, Esther, the Sermon on the Mount, and, and those are just the ones I can remember off the top of my head. Uh, when, when we <clears throat> began corporate worship a month later, we, we looked at these core values, and, and then we preached through the book of uh, Philippians and uh, Ecclesiastes and the book of Acts and Titus and Ruth and Ephesians and, and Malachi, and, and then leading up to uh, Chris, or Easter one year, uh, we, we went over the seven sayings of Jesus upon the cross and, and Jonah. Uh, Sam Cassing preached through, and we're still in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 22 at this point, which we'll finish up later. Uh, we've done a ton of Psalms. There, there have been a numerous one-off passages that John Dunning and others have, have preached. Um, to, <clears throat> to borrow the word of Paul in, in Acts 20, 27, we have not shrunk from declaring the whole counsel of God to you. And I, I don't say that in pride. I really don't. I, I say it with a, a grateful heart because, you know, as I said at the start, there are some areas that we have not done well and we won't be able to as boldly look at it and say, praise the Lord, that, that's worked out like we hoped. But, but the Lord has graciously given us a solid commitment to his word over these, these eight years of, of worship services and, and as we have lived life together. Uh, and I'm grateful for that. And, and that's what we intend to continue to do for as long as we exist. If you ever see us getting away from the Word of God, by all means, call us out. That's, you know, core value right at the very top. And so then the second means of grace we are committed to is, is prayer. And, and for the sake of time, I'll, I'll keep this simple. First uh, John 3, 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. See, this and many, many, many other passages make it clear that if your faith is in, in Jesus Christ, you, you are a child of God. We, we as the church, we are children of God. And, and if you have young children, and, and God willing, this is true of children of all ages, right? You know that they enjoy talking to their parents, sometimes incessantly, right? Just, just knowing, oh, you're listening to me, and, and you're thinking, maybe I'm not. But, you know, that's, that's the hope, Right? That here you are, my parents, willing to listen to me. And, and children's also, children also go to their parents for help. Uh, just the other day, actually, um, late in the evening, Berkeley came into our bedroom and just flops down all dramatically like children do sometimes. And she says, Dad, Sadie Piper knocked over my lamp today twice. And now I knocked it over and it's broke. Can you come fix it? Um, to which I responded, was the Sadie Piper information necessary at all? Uh, and she had some answer, but I didn't listen. Just kidding. Um, <clears throat> more to the point, though, is, is I hear her, heard her, and went to go fix her lamp. 
And I'm a human father, right, who is selfish and, and sinful and, and does it wrong in so many ways, and I can only fix certain things like changing the light bulb, uh, things like that, you know, but our Heavenly Father is this perfect Father who is sovereign and who loves us with a, a steadfast and endearing love, and, and He hears us when we pray, and He can fix anything. That is mind-blowingly amazing. And I don't know that we believe that as much as it is real and true. I just cannot fathom that we would pray as, as little as, as many of us tend to do if we really understood that God hears us when we pray and cares. And so we want to be a people who are committed to speaking to God in prayer about our life we want to be a, a people who are committed to pray for each other and for the, the lost to come to faith and everything else that we can, we can pray about. We, we want to take serious passages like Philippians 4, 6, which instructs us saying, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. We, we want to be like the early church we read about in Acts 1, 14, which says, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. So how have we done? Have we done well? I, I mean, I'd say yes and no. Um, I love, our musicians pray before they begin practicing at the start of this service. I hope you notice it. Our, our service is saturated with prayer. We have the, the long pastoral prayer in the, in the middle, right? Every once in a while, someone will comment to me, that's a really long prayer. I was like, yeah, it is. I don't know what you want me to say to that. Uh, <clears throat> right? Our... our it's just saturated with prayer. We pray the Lord's Prayer out loud together. We confess our sins to God. That's prayer together in silence. Your elders pray when we meet together, often for particular needs that you have shared with us. We, we, we gather together as a congregation to pray before the last election. And after the service last week at Kristen's prompting, we, we prayed together for Afghanistan. In our, our, our small groups, we, we shared praises and needs and, and prayed together for, for, for each other and with each other. I, I, I love all this. It, it's what we desire to, to be, and, and those are areas to rejoice. I, you know, if I'm going to be completely honest, though, we, we also had a Saturday morning prayer group a couple of years ago that lasted maybe a year. Uh, a few people attended a few times, and eventually it was mostly just uh, my family and Sam Cassing, and, and so we kind of just stopped it. Uh, it was disappointing to me, if I'm honest. I understand there's a hundred things going on in people's lives, and Saturday morning might not be the best time. Um, and, and that's what it is, right? Uh, I, I wish we were quicker, myself included, to hear things from people when people uh, complain or are worried about something, to just stop and pray with them right on the moment. Uh, I think we're quick to tell people we'll pray for them, uh, not always so quick to just stop and do it. <clears throat> yeah, so, I mean, it's both, right? As, as I reflect on... On, on prayer, my, my prayer has been God that, that God will continue to make us a people who are more and more and more committed to bring our, our praises and our requests and our anxieties and everything else to God in prayer. And, and that we'd be quick to pray for each other and for the community and the nation and so on. And, and so in, in, in lieu of small groups this year, I'm, I'm asking that our, our men's and women's groups... Uh, that as they finish up each week, that they would take some time to, to just share some prayer requests and, and pray for each other. And, and here's what you can do if you're there, if you're able to participate in that. Be vulnerable. Be willing to share things that you need prayer for, right? 
set the example by asking for that, and, and so we can start growing in that area. Also, on, on any given Sunday, you, you can pull aside any of the elders, or, or really, you can pull aside just about anybody in this room, whether you know them or not, and, and I'm confident they will be more than happy to pray with you in, in that moment. Also, during the week, you're, you can call, you can text any of our elders. You can, you know, we'd love to pray with you that way. We, we actually have an email address that you can send to if you just want to share it with all four, all four of us at one time. It's easy to remember, prayer at manhattanprez.com. Um, and, and so let's, let's seek to be people who are committed to, to prayer in all areas, that we trust our Lord hears us and can, can work. And, and this brings us to the third means of grace, which is the sacraments, right? Uh, uh, defined uh, in the catechism, shorter catechism, as a holy ordinance instituted by Christ, wherein by sensible signs Christ and the benefits of the new covenant are represented, sealed, and applied to believers. There's two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Um, and if you know anything about the sacraments, you know there's not a chance that I can explain them in any way that is sufficient in the time that we have this morning left. And, and still, I do want to start with this. I, I do want to say that the, the sacraments are more about the promise of God than they are about your profession of faith. They're more about His faithfulness than, than ours. And, and so every time we participate in the Lord's Supper and, and every baptism points us to God's promise of grace to sinners who are redeemed by the blood of Christ. That, that's why, you know, why they're called signs, right? They, they aren't Jesus, but they point to Jesus and, and, and the grace that we receive in Christ. <clears throat> it's kind of like a, a, a wedding ring, right? It, it visibly confirms the, the promise of, of love and commitment between a husband and a wife. It doesn't make it so. It's not absolutely necessary that you, you know, but, but that's what it communicates, Specifically, speaking of the Lord's Supper, it's often been referred to even as a covenantal meal. Because as we gather to, to worship God, the covenant that He has established with us is renewed. Again, you know, to take marriage as an example, it's kind of like when you see people renew their, their wedding vows, right? They're not negating the old ones and, and starting a new one. They're not saying, ah, forget that, let's, let's try again. It's a, it's a reminder of the vows which have been made to each other. And as they state them again, they're just renewing that. The goal is to strengthen their marriage going forward. Now, now each time we, we gather together to worship God, then his, you know, we, his covenant with us is, is renewed. God communicates that He is our God, and, and Jesus has redeemed us by His death upon the cross. These things are renewed. And, and we renew that, yeah, indeed, God, You are our God, and, and we are Your beloved people. We're renewing that. You are our God. And of course, the, the Lord's Supper is, is more than simply remembering, though. It's, as 1 Corinthians 10.16 says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? You see, as, as weird as it might sound to you, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, Jesus is spiritually present with us in a unique way. And if you want to parse that out, you're going to have a little bit of trouble, right? There's a mystery going on here. But there is this presence in a unique way of our, our Savior here with us to, to nourish and encourage us. See, the sacraments are also a, a verbal and visual representation of, of the gospel. We, you know, when we uh, partake of the bread and the cup and you and I are reminded again and again that we are sinners and that we are in need of a, a Savior, of, uh, we're in need of, of Jesus who is our Savior. Your unbelieving friends and families that come and visit, right, they, they hear the gospel every week in one, one way or another as the Lord's Supper is, is presented and participated in. There, there's an aspect of that. 
Some people even call it the reformed altar call because of that. Um, so, so the question, though, how, how are we doing with our commitment to the sacraments? Well, we, we baptize new believers. We baptize covenant children as often as we have reason to do so, and we love to do that. Uh, let me say here, if you, if you trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin and you've not been baptized, I, I cannot encourage you enough to, to do so. It's, it's not necessary for salvation, but because God's Word calls you to do so. Uh, as far as the Lord's Supper, this is our 278, no, 378th service today, and, and we've served this Lord's Supper 376 times. Two times we've not done it. Uh, everyone was under church discipline, just kidding. Uh, <clears throat> no, the reason we didn't do it is that an ordained elder is, uh, teaching elder is necessary, has to be present to, to do the Lord's Supper, and locally that means John, John Dunning and myself, and so if, if both of us are gone, uh, it often doesn't happen. Well, twice in our history it hasn't happened. Uh, so anyway, you know, that's 99 point, I don't know, someone do the math. Can you do that math real quick? 0.7, I'm going to go with that. Uh, right? I'd consider that, that fairly good uh, in, in that regard. So, yeah, I mean, that one's gone well. That's an easy one, I, I think. Uh, anyway, as we close today, let me remind you that, that, that we are a, a church. We are our church. And that means we're not merely a, a collection of individuals that come and sit someplace on Sunday morning. We're a congregation of men and women and, and children who are united to one another by a common faith, and, and we are strengthened together Lord's Day by Lord's Day. We're strengthened through the preaching of the Word, through the prayers of God's people, through participation in the sacraments. Let's, let's not neglect the ordinary means of grace on the Lord's Day. Let's also not neglect the ordinary means of grace on the other six days of the week. Right? Seek to spend time with God in His Word, in, in prayer. Um, right? that, that's the river of, of grace that we want to build our house along. That's where we will find rest. That's where our, our faith will flourish. Uh, and, and then finally, you know, you might be thinking, okay, this is all nice, but what's the application of that, right? I mean, some of it is, is this. Uh, make the Lord's Day corporate worship a priority in your life. When I was younger, I did not think of it that way. It was kind of this thing that was, uh, well, if I have time, I'll do that, or if I got to bed early enough, or there's about a hundred other things that I think, if it fits into my schedule, I'll, I'll make it there. And I, I'd encourage you. I'm not saying you can never m miss it, right? I'm not saying there's not things that, that absolutely come up. I, I'm not trying to guilt you even, but, right, I would encourage you that the means of grace are, are here every single Lord's Day. I encourage you to make it a priority in your life. Uh, two, commit to be in the Word and in prayer yourself. Not just commit to do it, but make a habit of actually doing it. Three, if you are able to take part in the, the men's Acts study or the, the women's Hebrew or Daniel studies, uh, or, or the youth study, who will be learning how to study the Bible this fall, uh, do so. All right, that's a time in, in God's Word. It's a time for us to share prayer requests and pray for each other and, and, and care about each other. Uh, so I'd encourage you to, to do that as well. So, all right, let's, uh, let's pray. And if you have any more questions, then you might ask me, ask any of the elders, ask Stucky, he can answer some of them. All right, let's pray. Uh, God, thank you for not leaving us to conjure up strategies and marketing tactics and such, but providing us what we call the means of grace. Thank you for your word, which we read and study and, and preach and sit under as it's preached. 
Thank you for hearing us when we speak to you in prayer. Thank you for, our, <clears throat> um, for meeting our needs. Thank you for caring. Thank you for the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, which we receive. Father, give us wisdom as a church to, to know how to best disciple your people, how to best proclaim the gospel to the community you have placed us in. And so teach us to, to know what, what we might need to, to add to this covenant community and what we might need to remove. Uh, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.